Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike. This is our Willosophies compilation series, putting together some themed and curated episodes. Uh, we've been doing this for the past, I think, six, no, three or four weeks now, and, it, and it's been going really well, and we appreciate seeing all your feedback on Twitter. Um, so keep keep that coming. Today's theme uh, is, is What's Your Philosophy Part 2? Uh, earlier in the series, we did an episode, What's Your Philosophy? But because that's one of the main topics of Will's podcast, there's going to be, there's actually going to be three on, on this topic. But today, you will hear from some great guests from the history of the podcast. And that's the whole idea of this compilation series to dip into the back catalogue of Willosophy and share some of the great moments we've had. If you'd like any of the chats or want to hear any of the episodes, and there's heaps and heaps of great guests, uh, you can go to tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P.com. You will hear today from Dr. Carl. He is a, an Australian science communicator. Uh, you can often hear him on Triple J. Uh, he's written a lot of books. He's, he's a great, great mind in science in this country. Uh, you'll also hear from comedian Chase Paradise. Uh, Chase appeared on the 2018 series of Willosophy earlier in the year, uh, and she's got some really great stuff to say about sex positivity and philosophy. But first up, you will hear from Adam Briggs, Briggs is a comedian, a rapper, a writer. He is. Uh, he appears on Charlie Pickering's show, The Weekly. He is one half of the Australian hip-hop group AB Original, as well as an independent rapper. A lot of great work to look at from Briggs. Going back to December of 2016 here with Will and Briggs, and Briggs talks about his philosophy and his Indigenous culture in this fantastic chat. Hey, uh, Will's just announced his new show, for the Melbourne Comedy Festival at the Comedy Theatre in Melbourne. It's called Will Informed. Go to willanderson.com for tickets and more information on that. And just a disclaimer, this episode does contain some sensitive themes and also some references to suicide. So if you or a friend or anyone you know needs any help at all, please get in touch with Lifeline on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. But for now, over to Briggs. Enjoy the show. Friendly face who gets let in the buildings, even though I didn't press the correct numbers. Yeah, I mean, I did. I was surprised because I, I had a bag of garbage by my uh, door that I was going to put in the in the like the bin on the way down when I when I came down to get you at the door, and then suddenly like my doorbell, which I d- discovered today after four years, did not know how it sounds. <laughs> Does not sound like a bell. Sounds like something that's broken. My doorbell <laughs> sounds like like a doorbell that's given up. Like I've not used it for four years, and it did not realize it was ever going to be used. I was downstairs trying to press the buttons ah. and I couldn't figure it out and then this lady was just standing there like just sick of my shit right she was just can I do it I'll let you in this is the plan to get into buildings just mash a bu- yeah, bunch I of did, buttons I just stand at the front and I smile and I press the buttons you do have a friendly face though I, I actually do think that about you I think you have a like because you're a big dude yeah. so you could come across as being like intimidating or untrustworthy but I yeah. do think you have like a is that is that a fair thing to say I try to be nice like i try to because I, I understand like it, it'd be easy for me to be intimidating so i try to be you know overtly nice and that's you know why i'm tired at the end of the day right it takes a lot right <laughs> yeah to does. be constantly nice it does. I, I, I you know I, I try to smile and if someone thinks i'm upset it's just this is just the way that i look i mean it's pretty easy to be nice as long as you're not around other people i've yeah. found yeah, I'm I'm a real solo kind. Like I'm out here by myself. Like, and I I enjoy my own company. I'm a real I'm a real solo kind of dude. Okay, let's put a pin in that because I like that idea, and I am also, and I want to talk to you about that. But I I imagine in this imaginary world I have that uh, people get annoyed if I don't ask people about the philosophy early okay. in the podcast. Yeah, I to be honest have never had that feedback. Okay. It's just feedback the imaginary listener in my head that <laughs> gives is, me advice in the podcast. Im- imaginary Google search? Yeah. Sometimes when it gets like halfway into the podcast, then I, I feel like there's people at home going, what's his fucking philosophy? So I'm going to ask you, do you have one? Are you a person who has I've a particular a guiding? Yeah, what? Well, go on, please. I've got a couple. I've, one is like, if it sucks, 
do it better next time. And that I, I took that on board with um, with my tattoos. Uh-huh. <laughs> if I get a shit one, I'll just get a better one next time. Um, and that one, like, it, it's not about, um, like, releasing crap and right. doing things that suck. It's just, like, do it the best you can at this moment and then next time do it better. Well, I dig this because I, I think there's great power in... Like I say this to people all the time. I really think the last 10 shows, 11, 12 shows that I've done at the comedy festival have been better every year. And the reason is that I gave myself, I gave that arrogance away that I was going to write something that was great and perfect. I was lucky enough to talk to John Cleese and he spoke to me about the idea that he, when he was young, all he wanted to do was write Citizen Kane. He wanted to be Orson yeah. Welles and with your first movie, you write Citizen Kane and it's the greatest movie of all time. But he didn't. He wrote... Kazan. Well, he wrote... He no, wrote no, he didn't. But the, the, he wrote... <laughs> Faulty Towers and yep. he said he got an insight into what that's like because then for the rest of his creative life every single thing he did was measured against Faulty Towers and in that moment I went from thinking oh right everything I write's got to be Faulty Towers to thinking I'll do the best thing I can do this year and you know what the great news is when I get to the end of this tour and when I get to the end of these ideas I will be in a better place to do something better the next year but I have to first give myself over to the idea that this thing that I'm doing right now will not be perfect. Yeah, I've, I don't. That's how I feel. Like with music and with comedy, I, I try to make it the best thing in that moment, and I really try to just because I feel like that's where a lot of my energy comes from, and a lot of my ideas they come from that moment, and I just try and capture all the things around that moment and the moments around creating whether I'm creating an album or I'm writing sketch or a script. I just try and capture whatever i can in that moment and bottle it and put it into whatever it is and that's it just let it be and i feel like it kind of trains you to be more productive to keep doing and keep going and keep creating and keep like it trains your brain to create more rather than just you know dwell on one thing <laughs> um but uh, obviously uh you know, one of the more provocative uh, al- uh, tracks on the album, I think at least to, uh, you know, modern day white Australia or, you know, modern day Australia, whatever, you know, the fuck it is. However, <laughs> however the fuck we explain it. Whatever it you is. You know what it is. Uh, so uh, last year in my stand-up show, I had a like a 10-minute piece about, you know, my... Because one of the things that always bothers me is this idea when, when it's reported about the fact that January 26th uh, is a troublesome day the the thing that people say is that it's like you know it's a troublesome day for members of the indigenous community and it always annoys me and in fact one time like we tried we wrote something like that in a gruen script and i was like we're not saying that because i i want to put on the record that i am also troubled by it as is a whole bunch of other people who are not indigenous like in that same way you don't have to be of the group i'm not a gay person and i don't want to get married so literally <laughs> marriage equality is something i have in neither interest in either of those two things and yet i believe that you know gay yeah. people should be able to get married they should be you know. able to be as miserable as everyone right else. exactly make your own choices people yeah. is my point yeah, <laughs> you're an adult it's okay they, they, you know then we can cash in on gay divorce it'd be great so i had a piece in the show where i talked about and tried to execute it in a way that my aim with the piece was, can I make a room full of strangers? And I would tell them this at the start. I said, I'm going to talk about why we need to change Australia Day. And instead of me going to the 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 direct reason, the, which we were obviously going to yeah. get to, that's why I have <laughs> you here to speak to that, but um, is I wanted to see, can I do this in a way that just convinces people even the bullshit arguments they have around it are silly and i went back and i ended up investigating australia day and of course really technically australia day should be like if if you're white australia version should be 1901 because that's federation day and that's normally what but we didn't want it on uh january the first this is true because (laughs) it's new year's day and we're australians and yeah and it's already a (laughs) day off right so we have it added on january 26 but the truth is until 20 odd years ago we didn't even have it on january 26 we had it on whichever Monday was closest to January 26 so that we could have a long weekend so even if you were to argue any of the other arguments we have no 
like long term we don't recreate anything on that day we don't like you know have any particular connection to that day there is anything that is celebrated and we we didn't until like 25 years ago even celebrate it every year on that day so the idea that like this is even and so my thing was a like and then you know obviously a bit more so you're a serious stuff but my thing was a pretty fun look at it yeah and even me a white guy talking about it in a fun way it's such a provocative topic for some for some people in Australia in a way that I truly try to understand but can't understand. And so to confront that so head on. Yeah. And I think, you know, you guys probably maybe didn't think about this. I don't know if you thought about this. And even if you did think about it, it may not be the sort of thing that you're comfortable about saying out loud on air. But it occurred to me this year because the, the radio station that I used to work for, Triple J, which... I have a lot of great things to say about Triple J, so I don't want anyone to like in any way, you know, think that this is me having a go at Triple J. But there was a real talk this year that they would move their countdown, the hottest one hundred, from January twenty sixth, and the thought had never occurred to me. And yet, the minute it like it was said out loud, yeah. I could not stop thinking that, uh, like, I I just need it to happen now because. I had sat at home, I would have said, for about the last four or five years because my approach to Australia Day had been that I wouldn't celebrate it because I understood, you know, how problematic it was. But the truth was that I thought in the way that I wanted to hope change ideas and debates that the day to say that out loud and make a spectacle of myself was not that day. I'd rather, you know, write a routine about it for my show and talk about it in a different way. So what I tended to do on those days would sit at home by myself and listen to the Triple J Hottest 100. And I, it had never really occurred to me why I wasn't quite enjoying it as much as I wanted to be enjoying it yeah. until someone just said it out loud. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is why. Yeah. Like, I'm staying home. I'm not celebrating on this day, yet I'm listening to this thing that is essentially a celebration, a thing that I was lucky enough to five years count down the top 20 in, the thing that's been an integral part of my life, a thing that I love as both a consumer and a person who was involved in it, you know, when we first like rang you know, Hilltop Hoods to tell them they made the you know, top 10 of the Triple J Hottest 100, like yeah. I remember how excited they were, how excited we were, like the whole thing. You know, these are pivotal moments in my life. Yeah. And I was really sad they didn't change it because I thought it would have been a great thing for them to have changed it this year. I think they will. I think it's, I mean, I think now that it's been said it, they will. And I think maybe it was the just too... Still. Yeah. But yeah. was there? And again, so now I've said all that yep. bullshit. Was there any thought in your mind too of going, well, I mean, you know, like we release, if we release a good song, you know, it, it will probably get in the Triple J Hottest 100. And so this song is going to get played to Triple J's biggest audience on a day where like this is the very thing that we're trying to talk about. Like, yeah, well, I was, I actually made it into the Hottest 100 yeah. a year or two yeah, ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. And I didn't, I wasn't listening. I don't listen. I can't listen to it. Because of the day. Because of the day. Yeah. It, because of, like, I want to remove myself just from celebration. It's like, even if it's a nice day outside, it's like, pull the shutters. Right. Close the blinds. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, um, it was, I just can't bring myself to celebrate anything on that day. Right. And so, even when I got in, I found out maybe via text or something from Saf or, or Twitter or something, you know what I mean? Like, I, and um, yeah, like I wasn't, and I, I think that's a big surprise to a lot of people because that they, they don't think about that. Like, I I was talking to um, Solo from Horror Show. Nick is, you know, he's a lovely dude. Also, uh, a guy that I would like on the podcast. So <laughs> we're doing very well. You are an ideas yeah, factor. We're going to get a whiteboard. Nah, we've already actually talked about that one. That one's that one's in the works. And um. And and he and he said he felt like maybe um, changing the hottest one hundred may have been uh, just placating to you know it's superficial right and I said well and I and I said to him I said well it's about being inclusive um, of all the indigenous artists who you know I said because I I didn't listen I don't right. I can't listen to it and like you get you could tell like 
he's he's a smart dude. He took it on board straight away. Right, because he, he understands that he was probably that kid who grew up listening to whatever and thought the first time you get in the hottest 100 might be something that you'd be excited to, like the first time you hear a song on the radio or the first yeah, time, yeah. those sort of things. They're pivotal moments in your artistic life. They might yeah. not be the reason you do it or they might not even be that big a deal, but you shouldn't be robbed yeah. from them just because... Of course. Well, because for reasons I still can't quite understand. Yeah, and so like... Um, you know, there was a conversation about changing it and, and it, it all got leaked because I guess they were talking to however many people and yep. it all blew up and people lost their minds. And it's because people lose their minds as soon as you challenge the idea of the Australian way, in quotation marks, people lose their minds. It's a, it's the dichotomy of power. It's the power shift. It's like they, white Australia likes to own it all. They, they like to own everything. And they don't like to acknowledge the wrong. What, what, uh, why do you think that is? Because here's the thing. I'm not some... Like, you know, my parents are dairy farmers and their parents, you know, farmers built the road I lived on from where Ricky Muir, you know, from the motoring enthusiast yep. party is. And <laughs> everyone mocked him for being some country bumpkin or whatever. I am from the place, same place that has 350 people that Ricky Muir is. We're similar-ish ages. So, like, we could be the, the same person. You're from Shep, right? Yep. Shepherd and, and so like similar sort of country upbringings yeah. there's no particular reason for me to have an understanding of this or a, yeah. like a other than i don't quite understand what it is that i would lose that's the bit i don't get what do you what do these people in your experience feel like they have to lose because to me well, we're not thing. saying we can't have an like yeah. this is we're not ca- saying we can't have an australia day like, yeah. some people act like we've said, oh, and also we're taking away your day off. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. We're not going to take away your day off. Yeah, no. It'll be another day, and they can have the hottest 100 on that day. We yeah. can still have the hottest 100 on Australia Day. All we're saying is that could be a different day. Yeah. Like, we're not, li- right? Yeah, so what, well, is, what is there to lose? I think, I, I, I honestly think it's a reflection of, of Australia's relationship with its Indigenous people. Like the kind of the kind of backlash that I receive uh-huh. to know my place, and you know people people telling me, you know, how the the hilltop hoods made me, or whatever. You know what I mean? To to tell me to to get back, you know, it's that paternalistic idea of pat you on the head no you're, well, you're speaking i mean you term. should declare that part of your career terra nullius <laughs> and then just say well i mean we don't really we don't really acknowledge that history i'm sorry no 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 no. my no, career no. started no, we started here with chef life <laughs> yeah no, no yeah. i don't know about the rest of <laughs> and i, I like I, I think that's that's you know that's a great question is what do they have to lose right. when they have everything but that's the bit I don't get. So, I mean, there's so much of it I don't get. Mm. But, but I, when I look at my country, you know, I mean, I'm a white heterosexual man. It's my country more than it's anybody's country. You know? Yeah, you're living like, it up. I mean, right? <laughs> like, but when I look at that country, it, for me, it would only be richer if, you know, we were a country that had a great, relationship with i mean we're looking at a civilization that is one of the world's if not the world's you know it's the oldest civilization in the world in the world so imagine you have that like imagine you already have this country that is so good yeah like do you mean like australia is so good despite the fact that we can't get anyone fucking competent to run the joint (laughs) and despite the fact that we're a bunch of fucking idiots we every year on every top five list of everything they do apart from fucking carbon pollution we fucking stumble we stephen bradbury our way into the top fucking five every year we're so rich part of this great wealth of our country comes from the fact that a land was stolen from a people that was just dig a hole. Just dig yeah. a hole. There's something valuable down yeah, there's there. Gold there. There's this is gold there, right? Run into wealth. This, the idea that we have been so successful, that we avoided the global financial crisis, that we have such a high standard of living, partly at least, at yeah. the very least, you've got to acknowledge, comes from that. The idea of even paying a, like a pittance, the idea of going, but what about if we could like take all that and embrace it and fix it and en- envelop it and make it part of what... We are. I mean, everything that it is. Well, I love the game of AFL football, and it's why the Adam Goods thing hurt me so much because you love drug cheats. And 
it's why the game of like it's why the Adam Good thing killed me because I love AFL football and I would make the argument that there is probably no other industry, maybe rugby league, but I would say even <laughs> AFL external to it, where an indigenous person like a that that many that higher percentage of indigenous people can earn such great money like you know really genuinely be kind of you know part of the community have great success get into leadership roles like be the best player in the league be the like best player you know like i mean there's rare other jobs where you can talk like yeah where as a young indigenous person you have that opportunity of going like you go oh well you know go into law because you know all the best lawyers are indigenous you know you know like you be. yeah you better go on the tv because we know the australian <laughs> aboriginal people run showbiz so. <laughs> but but there is that sort of so i think when it when it hit in the afl for me it hurt even more than because i was like oh fuck if we can't get it right here yeah. if you can't like look at someone like adam goods as someone that that we should have nothing but like admiration and listen to. And so when that went on, did you have a reaction to the Adam Good thing? What was your, yeah, I said, I, I said, um, I actually rang up, I rang up triple J hack and was talking to some lib Nat Senator who, who had um, told me that he was at a table full of people the other night and not many of them cared for Adam Goods and, I said, yeah, well, were they white or were they black? And he choked on his microphone. But <laughs> 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 and, um, and, I, and I said a, a simple question. Like, he said um, that the booing wasn't racist. Right. And I, and I said to him, well, how can you reconcile booing Adam Goods even if you're not booing him from a, from a, a place of you know racial discrimination, if you know the person two right. seats away from you is booing him for you know to be you know derogatory, no matter how much racial, you need to go to the toilet, yeah. don't put your hand up at a Nazi rally. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? like, yeah, exactly. Like, you're giving cover to the other people who. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I talked about. How do you reconcile that right. with yourself to know that? Oh, if I'm if I start booing him, like these other guys are booing him because he's racist. Right. I'm booing him. I'm because, not because he ducked for that free kick. Yeah, that's why I'm yeah. booing him. It's like yeah, it's like come on, dude. You know, like how do you reconcile that in yourself? And they had no answer. Well, that's the other thing is like I always said, the booers should be the booers who boo for the game should be mad at the booers who boo for racism yeah. because they have actually turned you into being a racist. Yeah. Like you know, it's like the people who had Southern Cross tattoos before yeah. that became the sign that you're a cockhead. Yeah, it's not their fault. They yeah. had a nice tattoo because they loved where they were from, yeah. and then some well, racists made it a terrible now, tattoo. Now they're spewing. <laughs> now they're spewing. Uh, I don't think that I need to ask you why the date change is important. I mean, I think that I, most yeah. of the people who listen to this podcast hopefully understand that. Um, what I, I noticed that the Fremantle Council um, have changed. They well have attempted to change. I think the date of their like citizenship yeah, zone to yeah. the twenty eighth, and the. And the government really kind of came down hard on them and, you know, about it, which, again, to me, you know, if we're celebrating something about living, you know, in this, you know, this hypothetical democracy that we have, like the idea of, you know, that we shouldn't be celebrating people who are trying to change. But why do you think there is such a great fear to change the the date? Like why? I mean, I just, I mean, I know I'm trying to ask you to explain something that you don't need to explain, but what do you think it is? I honestly think, like, from from my experience, man, it just looks like, and it feels like, white people not wanting to share, as usual. And and why do we and why do we not want to share? Because do you think? because you never have. <laughs> like it's part of your makeup to not share. I mean, I get it why we didn't originally. Yeah. Because that was that was their jam. That was what they did. You know what I mean? Like as I always say, it wasn't actually the Australians who did it. it you know, we don't have to feel sorry about that one. That was British, hundred percent British people. Do you know what I mean? Like no Australians on that boat. You know, but the shit since then. Yeah. You know, like I mean, I, I have no problem in some ways with some people saying, "Well, that wasn't us. It wasn't." But there's been a heap of shit in the last 20 years or five years or 20 yeah. months or six well, weeks like or whatever you, that, you know. You have to acknowledge. Right. You, you, like, that wasn't you, but you 
have to acknowledge you you prospered from dispossession. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's it's you know, it's like all these buildings that earn X amount of money every year off rent. It's like all all these all this trading you do and all this shit you rip out of the earth. You know what I mean? That you didn't pay anything for. You massacred for it. So you know, it's it is it's a it's a it's it's a part of acknowledgement to understand that you know you may not that may not have been you you or even your grandfather but what you have to acknowledge is you prosper from it right i mean absolutely and a lot of people don't understand that it's like that it, it's about empathy and understanding i mean i i do think i think the way that people I mean, I think the thing that people find problematic in trying to break this down, because I think about this all the time, you know, about the idea of privilege and why people react so harshly to the idea of being told that they have it or whatever. And I mean, obviously I only have my experience, so it's very hard for me to talk from the perspective of the person who's been disadvantaged. So I'm trying to understand from the perspective of the person who has been advantaged. And I think the thing that it immediately says to someone is like what they hear is, you didn't work hard. You yeah, don't deserve exactly. what you have. And that's that's like what they to, hear to the to the Australian psyche, and to the to the psyche of a white male, that is horrendous. That's right. a, that's a horrendous blow to say you're lazy. Right. You know, but that's not what it is. But that's not what you're saying, is no, it? No, no, you're no, saying no, no. that. Well, like, I, I, well I, you I, say I, what I, you're I, saying. I, <laughs> <laughs> Here's I, what you're saying. I'm going to white explain yeah, yeah. and mansplain. I, 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 I put it like this. To, to a friend of mine one time, like, he was trying to understand it. He's like, I don't get it, man. Like, you know, me and you are mates and, you know, we're, you know, we're the same. I said, yeah, but it's called Chris. <laughs> I said, like, like when, when I wake up, you know, at my house and you wake up at your house, before we even get out of bed, I'm more likely to be arrested. I'm more likely to wake up with a mental illness. I'm more likely to not wake up at all. You know what I mean? You don't face those obstacles before you even get out of bed. Right. And I mean, the the things you don't notice, I mean, this is the thing about like, you know, privilege, particularly not like, you know, Donald Trump style privilege, like just like that tailwind. You know, yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. think about it like that or always walking slightly downhill or whatever yeah. it is, it doesn't mean that you haven't had to work hard for all those things. It just no, means no. that someone else is in a circumstance where they have had to work harder because there have been more obstacles passed in their way. No one's ever pulled me over in an airport because how my name sounds or the color of my skin. Nobody's followed me around a shop because yeah. I look suspicious. I can drink in a park by myself or with <laughs> yeah. friends. Yeah. And no what, one's... Why people call those picnics? Right. <laughs> you guys call those picnics. But, I, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that cultural sort They're of... They're called parkies. And I mean, as a man, you know, you then like, you know, if you try want to have an understanding of what women are doing, you know, that mm. idea of I've never had to walk to my car with my keys in my hand or be on the phone to a friend or worry that the person, you know, I mean, the, yeah, there exactly. are a range of things that you didn't create. And I'm not responsible for any of those things. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm not the guy who's going to attack you. I'm not the person who kept you down. I'm not the person who you know, said that you couldn't get that job. But I may have been the person who benefited from the fact that none yeah. of those obstacles were yeah, in my it, way. It, it's about... It's really about acknowledgement and understanding that because that's the first, that those are the steps towards fixing the issues. Cause, it, well, it, so it, it's like you, if you have a, a crack in your windscreen or whatever, you, you know, you either acknowledge it or you let it ride until it cracks so far until you have to replace it. Do you think that there is a school of thought and I, I i think this sometimes with the climate where people think it's too far broken to fix like do you think and i mean i hope this is not the case but yeah. it sometimes occurs to me that with australia's you know i mean we have a closing the gap report every fucking year that doesn't yeah. seem to be closing many gaps <laughs> you know and you Sponsored know by Sally's. you you see these um explorations of you know indigenous australia both in the media like even the ones that seem to be like you know trying to help you know sometimes don't feel like they're helping that much or Mm. they're kind of i mean it sometimes i think it feels to people like 
this is a problem that can't be fixed and that's why they're, they're pretending it's not a problem. I don't know. Like it feels yeah, like I'm, it's going to take so much hard work to kind of get this right that we're not going to do any of the hard work that's yeah, necessary. I'm not horribly optimistic for a lot of things. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not horribly optimistic for the human race. Sure. But it doesn't mean you stop. Right. You know, It doesn't mean you quit. If, if I quit every time my job sucked, I wouldn't be here in LA right now. I mean, I thought you were about to say he had still doing this interview. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this if is not I, technically... If I quit every time the interview yeah, sucked. Not, to, not technically a job, mate. You're not getting paid. You've got one glass of water <laughs> one, and just yeah, keep, and keep the rest yeah, of that I'm, water. I'm savouring this. I'm savouring exactly. this water. Yeah. No, but I, I feel like... Uh, I feel like it's not worth quitting on. Mm. That's why I do the things I do. Because... I have a responsibility to my community to try since I've since my success is a reflection of my community that's the way I view it so it's my responsibility to give back to them and try and you know whether that's futile or not is is beside the point because it's about trying to make things better and easier because like I might not be the dude who changes the world but I might be the dude who sparks that for my community thanks to Briggs for his chat with Will there on Willosophy back in 2016 I'm Podcast Mike we're doing our compilation series Willosophies at the moment and we've got a few more of these they'll be going roughly to the end of December over now to Chase Paradise Chase is a showgirl, stripper, and comedian combo. Uh, She's a sex-positive artist, and she speaks a lot about uh, all of the stuff that she does with Will in her podcast with him earlier in 2018. But here's a little snippet from her episode where she speaks about her philosophy. Uh, I'd like to talk about that, but we should ask about the philosophy and then we can get back to... Oh, okay. No, no, we don't have to do it at any stage. (laughs) I just felt like this was about the right stage because I felt like we were starting to have broader conversations conversations. and I thought we might as well just get it over and done with, rip the band-aid off. Um, (laughs) It it didn't immediately come to you when I asked you. No, no. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. And I Googled philosophy with my roommate Mm -hmm. and went through... Uh, quite a few videos of just like white dudes saying big words and trying to sound smart. And I was like, I don't think these are the people I should be listening to to get my philosophies on life. So I was like, in the end, I was like, okay, I think my two philosophies that I have are, um, it's like, do what you need to do to find out who you are and then be unapologetically yourself. And farts are funny. Farts will always be funny. I like them both, but I'm going to, like, I think the second one's self-evident, right? Farts so, um, are always funny. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> Highbrow humour, you know, is great. But if you can just pepper some fart jokes in, then you've won me over. Uh, there is uh, a popular internet meme from about 10 years ago called The Farting Preacher. Have you ever seen The Farting no. Preacher? Oh, my God. It's I a it serious evali- evang- There's a series of them. Uh, but I think number five was the one that particularly amused me. And uh, it's literally like an e- evangelical preacher from the US doing one of his spiels about, you know, hell mm-hmm. and damn, damn We're going to help you, yeah. But somebody has just edited farts into his thing. And it, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's honestly one of, like, I've watched, you know, specials by Dave Chappelle. I've seen Louis C.K. live. And this is like, as funny as that anything I fu- that I've I know, ever seen. It's so good. Yeah, just farts. I just think, I just think they're the overarching comedy that connects us all i really do okay but i reckon we're done with that one because that one feels like explained i just want it noted no i think so for the record (laughs) for the record but let's go back to the other one because i love it i love it i think this is such a wonderful practical and interesting life philosophy so it's in two parts yeah uh so let's kind of deal with the first part first how did you say it exactly the first part Um, of it it's like do what you whatever you need to do to figure out exactly who you are and then be unapologetically yourself right so be unapologetically yourself let's get to that but let's let's concentrate on the first bit first yeah because i love that yeah i think it's so interesting and Mm. so straight to the truth of so much of what life's about so 
what what do you like talk more broadly about it? What I do mean, you mean by I that? mean it in the sense that I honestly don't believe you can think your way through a lot of stuff. It's like I really feel like you have to try, you have to fail, and you have to go see the thing, and you know, and and decide for yourself. And and it's like whatever that might mean for you. I feel like it's like because you're going to fuck up, so. And it's a lot easier to defend your choices if they were authentic at the time. And I feel like failure doesn't sting so badly if it was, if it was, you know, the right call for you. I remember when I um, quit journalism uh, to do stand up, and uh, a lot of people said to me at the time, they were like, "You've got a really good job in journalism. You did a three year degree. Yeah. Why would you waste, you know, kind of give up all that thing mm. to go and do something else completely?" And I always said to them, I said, I didn't feel like A, any of that time was wasted. Yeah. And B, I agree with what you're saying yeah. is like people go, should I do this thing or that thing? And I'm like, well, do that one that you think you should do. Yeah. And if you don't like it, just do the stop other one. and then do yeah. the other thing. Yeah. It's like, like <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's this very strange, like you're supposed to, uh, the idea that you're supposed to know things without having done anything. And it's like, you have to go and live your life. And, and make shitty choices and have hangovers and have terrible relationships and, you know, travel and do all these things for you to go, cool, I don't like that, I don't like that, that wasn't for me. And you start to, like, narrow the list down to the thing that you really think you are. I, I, I honestly love this. I think this is so interesting and I think you're just so right. Mm, like, mm. you know, we get told, you're, at, you're 15 years old and you sit in a room with a high school careers teacher and they oh ask you to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. What they should do is take you in that room and go, here's all the things that you'll probably do. Yeah. You'll fuck up half of them. Yeah. Um, it's going to be shit for ages. Yeah. <laughs> and then it'll be good for a while and then yeah. it'll get shit again. And then probably going to be shit. Yeah. Out and just people die for no, no reason, reason all the time. You can be a really good yeah. person and terrible things will yeah. happen to you. Yeah. You can be a great person. It's and like you can become an out. athlete and then lose your leg. Right, and it all, and then, and then you have to come up with something else. You know, right. it's just like, or all the people that like got into, you know, like, and then digital film came in, and like all these people are out of. Jo- it's just like you, there's no way of predicting how things are going to turn out. So just do whatever you think is the is the next right thing. That's all you have to do is the next right thing for yourself, and eventually you you will reveal yourself to yourself. It's super weird. It's like people. It's like you have to know who you are. It's like, no, you don't. No, no you don't. What Maybe are you, you need about? to know it's what work things in progress. to choose to yeah. do to find out who you are. Yeah. But also the idea that you would settle on one idea of who it is that you yeah. are and then stay that person forever. And that's creepy. Is... Like the people that are like knew that they were going to be, they, like from the very beginning, they were like, I'm going to be a pilot. Like when they were eight and then they become a pilot and then they stay in the same town and they marry their high school sweetheart and all that stuff. And it's like, not that there's anything wrong with that. If you are, if like that floats your boat or whatever, but that, your that plane probably seriously terrifies floating. me. That is terrifying to me. Uh, so let's start with the show and we'll work backwards because okay. I am so, I've, I've been following you online for a mm-hmm. long time mm-hmm. and, uh, we don't really know each other mm-hmm. uh, at all other than a, like a brief a little bit of like online correspondence mm-hmm. really more than anything. But I've been uh, quite actively, you know, one of the great things about the internet mm. is the uh, ability to curate a world where yeah. you get to hear stories and yeah. get an insight into people's lives and perspectives. And That's those what I love about it. That mm. you would, you know, might not get in your everyday life. No, you know? yeah. And so... There are certain people, you know, that I you know, start following because, you know, I meet them or I see them, you know, uh, write something interesting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I just tend to like follow along. And then sometimes for a while you go, okay, well, nothing else yeah, came of like, that. Oh, I'll you're stop. going through a dark patch. But then there's other people that you actually <laughs> genuinely go, oh, this is really interesting. And so I've sort of, mm. you know, it's been a few years of me following yeah, you know, yeah. your journey from Australia and, and it's overseas. it's been very strange, yeah. A lot of stuff's happened. Yeah. And <laughs> one of the things that's interested me the most from – the distance is watching you curate uh, the kind of meeting between your two worlds. And mm, mm. it absolutely fascinated me mm. uh, to see what you did with your your show mm. um, and the way that you built it, mm. uh, took the risk, I think, and I want you to talk to this, but yeah. I think from an outside took the risk of yeah. combining the two yeah. uh, and then managed to make it so incredibly 
successful. Like, yeah. I mean, there is absolutely no doubt that mm. you went outside the system, built yeah. something of your own and turned it into a complete and utter success at the yeah. festival. Yeah, and absolutely. So as Which was as, surprising to me as well. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was fantastic to yeah. watch. Like, yeah. you know, and uh, I... It was very weird. Yes. So tell me about when you first decided that you were like, I'm going to do a whole, well, you know, a show that puts in the title, you know, what this show is clearly about. It's not like come and see me and then halfway through, you know, I'll reveal the fact that like, you know. know. No. And I think the funny thing is, is what I think what people uh, wouldn't know about me is that I, because I was a stripper for eight years, I, I really didn't, I wasn't out as one like to my friends and family, but publicly not. Um, and I have always told, you know, jokes. I've just been a joke teller. I've, you know, I've always, I knew I was going to be a comedian forever. Like I've just, I grew up on the Melbourne Comedy Gala. I knew I was going to move here. Like that, that's definitely been like my lifelong dream. And I used to stand out the back um, of the strip club and I'd get one of the, I'd pull out the, the lampshade of the tiny little lamps that we have like it was at spearmint rhino at the time and uh i used to practice my jokes into the lampshade with like a whole bunch of strippers and like i had them in stitches like they were always laughing and i was always just cracking jokes and like that was kind of like you know how people knew me and then uh i i started doing comedy and i i did i did raw and i got through the first round and then the, and then this really weird ter- like sequence of events I never anticipated this but I actually got um I started getting panic attacks from doing comedy and so in my mind I was like what is happening to me like this is this is my god like this has been the dream since day one we're heading towards it finally I start doing comedy and it's about the shit that I think that no one else is talking about at the time and it's from my experiences it's from these real like these real life experiences that have happened but also like you know built upon to like create you know flow and punchlines and that sort of thing and then all of a sudden I I just was like I couldn't I just couldn't do it I don't know and I just got really really depressed for ages and then I think I was like I have to leave Melbourne I can't you know because everyone knows that I can't get on stage like I just there was all these times of me coming to gigs and then I'd just like vomit backstage and I'd be like I can't do it I can't go on and there was this really weird like dark period in my life from about 26 to about 28 where I was like this is over like my dreams are over it's all been a waste of time and then uh, I moved over to the States and once I left the country, I, I just had this like weird freedom of like, well, fuck it, nobody knows me. So I started, I created the the Instagram account, Stripper Comic, and I just, I just was like unapologetic. I just was like, fuck it. All the things that I've ever been afraid of to put online because I thought people would think I was gross or they'd judge me or I'd get like a whole bunch of hate or whatever like all these just weird ideas I had in my head about how it was going to go I was like fuck it like what's I could just shut it down like who cares and so I just started to I started to like you know create this character like it it just it was exactly what I was going through it was I had seven years worth of like stripping photos that I that I had no use for so I just started putting them up with like help you know jokes underneath and people just started responding to it it just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then I moved to Portland and I was doing comedy there which is a huge strip club city and they they're very liberal and very feminist and they just like took to it uh so well and I think it was like they made me a better performer on every level so when I came back to Melbourne like after that time I just had this like fearlessness of like, I don't know. I used to be so afraid. I used to be so, I don't know what it was. I think it was the stigma of being a stripper, but I used to just be so afraid that people were going to judge me. And then it, it, it took like a quite a few years and me overcoming like anxiety and, and depression and stuff like that for me to just go, well, and, and the weird thing is, is like the whole life or no life actually comes from, because I used to just think, well, I can just kill myself. Like that used to be my like way out. Like if it all goes to shit, I could just kill myself and then, you know, then no one can judge me. So it's like I'm either going to do this to the best of my ability. I'm either just going to like create this, like just be the whole life or I'll just kill myself. There are my options. And that's how I came up with whole life or no life. I was like, if I have nothing to lose, 
you know, if I like, what would you do if you put on a show and you had absolutely nothing to lose? Like my life, when I decided to do it, I'd just gotten divorced and I'd just left America. I had no visa. Like I had, like I had nothing. I had two weeks worth of clothes, all my money I'd spent on my spousal visa, like had now gone. And I was just like at the depth, like the darkest, just so sad. And and my friend Becky was like, do you want to, do you want to do a, (laughs) do you want to do like a comedy show? And it was kind of like, fuck it. Like, it was kind of like, what is the worst? Like, whatever happens that's terrible cannot be any worse than my life right now. So I basically have nothing to lose. So I was like, I'll put in literally every joke that I've ever wanted to say that I've been too afraid to say. And I put it all together and yeah, it sold out within... Um, I think the first night I did the show, the, uh, the whole run was sold out and then I had to put on encore shows and then they sold out and I had to put on more encore shows and they sold out and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, oh, okay. Ma- like maybe I'm onto something. Maybe I'm not a complete fuckwit. I don't know. It it's was surprising. Interesting to me. Um, I've talked about this a bit and it's a difficult topic because, yeah. uh, when, People are feeling suicidal in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, often you have no ability to think rationally. Yeah, right? yeah. But I have often thought about that idea, and you know, yeah. as everybody has have had those moments where yeah. you feel so embarrassed, or you feel like you yeah. betrayed people, you yeah. feel like whatever. Yeah, that you're so dark, and I do think there is some power in going well. If I'm thinking about killing myself, yeah, like what's the worst that well, can happen? I might as well try. I might first. as well try that other thing, and then I can I'll always do kill myself yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of <laughs> like that. And I didn't go into this in the show. I didn't go into the suicidal stuff because I didn't want it to. I wanted it to be about yeah. something else. But that was the honest truth. And actually, no one's ever actually asked me where that came from. I just, uh, yeah, I was like in such a dark place. And I, I, I think this weird idea that like people don't think about suicide, like I think about it all the time. It's like, I'm not going to do it, but it's definitely an option. Like it's always there in the back of my mind. Yeah, and I, I was like, if I'm feeling that way, then it kind of a fearlessness grew out of it. I think that it's, it's interesting. And I think that there's a, there, there used to be, particularly in radio and television and stuff, even when somebody kills themselves, you say there's no suspicious causes. You know, you don't Mm-mm. actually talk about suicide because the theory yeah. is that it somehow glamorizes it yeah. or encourages yeah. people or whatever. But that isn't clearly working because people no. are killing themselves all, all the, the time. time. So, At like a, an and I think rate. a lot of the time, well, who knows? I'm no expert, but mm. what I, what part of what my understanding is that I think it's because people think when they're in that place that they're the only person who's ever felt like that yeah my life's going great and yet I have times yes not necessarily that I think oh I would try to kill myself but I have times where I think well I have times when I think if I died tomorrow I'd be fine with that I'm not saying I'm gonna kill myself yeah but if I just died tomorrow that would actually solve a few problems yeah yeah I think you're like mortality comes into my brain quite a lot um I just I yeah and 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 I was thinking when I did the show because I'd just been so riddled with anxiety and, you know, stigma and shame and, like, what were people going to think? And I, I don't know, like, would I be rejected and ostracized? Like, I don't I, – I was like, you know. But then I was like, my life's already in the toilet, so let's just put on this show. And if it goes terribly, which I think it's going to, um, you know, then I, then I could always just kill myself. And then – and then that just sort of that gave me just enough like gumption to put the wheels into motion for the show to happen. And then, you know, all of a sudden you've got a deadline and you're like, okay, well, I have to live till then. And then I've already booked the venue. Yeah, booked the venue. I'll be letting down some yeah, people. Yeah, I've like, paid them the money. I yeah. might as well I might as well live till then. And then like the next thing comes through, you know, and then like a show sold out. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, I have to live till Saturday. Yeah. And then it just sort of kept going, kept going, kept going. And then it just became this like outrageous success, like, like you know, unbeknownst to, I had not like, and the thing is people keep asking me going, why didn't you do like Sydney Comedy Festival? And I'm like, do, like, I had no idea any of this was going to happen. Like I agreed to do Perth, uh, Perth uh, Fringe Festival. I never even agreed to do Melbourne Comedy Festival um, my producer just sort of put it through and thought the worst case scenario is like, you know, Chase will just say no. So she just did it for me. And then she was like, Hey, I've actually put you through, like put in the application. Here's the, here's the fee. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Okay. 
just more on the burning pile. Chuck it on the burning pile. Like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I don't think and I've ever spoken to like somebody um, really right after the moment that they've gone from not knowing if anyone will come to see yeah. you to literally having sold out and added yeah. shows and yeah. had such an amazing response. Yeah. So it's probably still reasonably fresh in your memory of how it feels. It's, Can you talk to me a bit about just how that all felt? It's so weird because I'm such a self-loather and my brain wants to come up with any uh, evidence that I'm a piece of shit. And when you don't have any... <laughs> Because everything's going really well. It, 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 I, I, my brain was just like, uh, 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 well, I bet you won't sell out another one. And then, <laughs> and then I would. And then it would just be like, uh, uh, okay. Like it was, it was this, honestly, it was so weird because it was like when I did this show, uh, it, you're almost like, you're almost like, don't revere me don't like praise me you have no idea like I'm scum like it's like that's like that was the vibe that I had where I was like this is so weird and every person that I thought coming to my show I was going oh my god you're all morons like what are you doing you're gonna come to this show and you think it's gonna be good and it isn't and then you know and then reviews started coming in and they were like four and a half star and I was just going like I was going like what is wrong with everybody? Like, what is this? Is I, I, I don't, I don't know if I handle, um, like praise well. I don't know. What do you think it was about the show that people were responding to? I think it's a, I think it's, uh, a female being like, you know, as I said, like unapologetic about. I I just went there, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm not going to hold back on anything that I think and feel without making it dark. I didn't want it to like at at times it is dark. Like I definitely talk about like I talk about rape and I talk about things, you know, things, but I don't do it in a way where I don't want to preach to the choir. It's like I don't need you don't need to tell women how fucked things are like we know. Chase Paradise there with Will Anderson earlier this year. You can find her on Twitter at stripper comic. Finally, for today's episode, it's Dr. Carl going all the way back to January of 2015 for this one. So it is the oldest episode of The Bunch today. And remember, you can check out any of the episodes you've heard today at tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P.com. Really encourage you to go back and check out the full episodes because these are only snippets of the entirety of these wonderful, wonderful chats. So enjoy this one with Dr. Carl. Gee, I don't know. I'm sort of running out of advice at this. Well, point. Here's well what, so, no mathematics. Adam, well, here's what I wanted to ask yeah. you. Sorry, because like the the podcast is called Willosophy, and I like to ask people if they have a philosophy. Do you have a over like an overarching philosophy? Do you, is there something that sort of guides you know your attitude to life or your approach to life or you know is there something that can be summed up or is it a myriad of things or do you no, not it, even think yeah, of your world in that way? Yeah, in a in a sentence, it's to liberate people from what holds them back, and I didn't know this. Like. Until I was in my late thirties and working as a, doc- a junior doctor at the kids' hospital. So, and what was the moment? Tell me so the moment. It was a lot. It was a really busy shift. Um, and then this uh, family came in with uh, a little kid, and I looked at the kid, and the kid's doing this. <sighs> he's breathing fast. I look uh-huh. at his face, and his face is red, and he's hot. And above the collarbone, he's, he's the, the skin's receding. I'm, I'm going to suck on it now, so you see. Hang on, I'm just going to suck on it. Yeah. Or, oh, so, yeah. So the right. skin above the collarbone sucks uh-huh. in. So the kid's got a fever. He's breathing fast. He's got pneumonia. Spot diagnosis. Uh-huh. And then the parents say, oh, thank God we could see you because he's been having these fevers and he's been here for months. And, and every time we take him to a doctor, the fever goes away and then, he, then the fever comes back again and they burst into tears. So then I asked the nurse, which I wouldn't normally do, to get us a cup of tea. And so I had a cup of tea because when you're working as a doctor, you have to treat the a kid's doctor, you have to treat the whole family. Right. And so we had a cup of tea, and I got the story from them, which I knew what it would be that uh, they'd already told it to me in one sentence. And then uh, they said, "Please, what could it be?" And I said, "Well, let me do an examination." And they said, "Can you do a thorough examination?" We're so worried. And the first thing I did was the height and growth curves, and the kid had fallen off the curves. He'd been sick for about three months. He was only three years old. Right. And he just stopped growing. That was not good. Yeah. Um, and then I did, oh, God, it was so stupid. I did a neuromuscular examination, which is irrelevant, and a cardiovascular and a musculoskeletal. And when the other doctors saw my notes, 
They said, this is fucking crazy. What are you doing that for? And I said, because I had to treat the family. And then I listened to the chest and didn't hear a thing because you don't diagnose a pneumonia in a kid with an X-ray, with, with a stethoscope. You do it with the X-ray. And I said, look, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on, but look, let's get an X-ray. And he said, what do you think it would be? I said, look, either I spend half an hour, three quarters of an hour, telling you where it could be, or you get an X-ray and you're back in half an hour. It'll be quicker, honestly. And so they took off. Uh, and then about 20 minutes later, uh, somebody said, hey, Carl, you got the jackpot. So we had all these little cubicles and there was a corridor and along the other wall of the corridor was this X-ray box and somebody had put up the X-ray and I said, excuse me, sir, and to the family and, and, and ducked out and had a look at the X-ray and there was this beautiful little pneumonia, just absolutely classic. So I hit the jackpot um, and then finished with that uh, patient, called the parents in. I said, oh, I got good news and I got bad news. And the, um, uh, the bad news is that your child has pneumonia and the good news is that we'll admit him, we'll uh, stab him, we'll give him intravenous antibiotics. In the morning he'll be better, he'll be here for one more day and he'll, he'll live and, he'll, he, and they burst into tears and I burst into tears. And suddenly I thought, I've liberated them from what held them back. Mm-hmm. And that's what I knew my philosophy was to try and liberate people from what holds them back and, and let them get their full potential. It's amazing that you came to that, like, you know, not so late in yeah, life. Yeah, but, but late. And, and, and I didn't know, that's why I wanted, I knew I wanted to do medicine for some reason, but I didn't yeah. know what it was. Right. That's really interesting to me because you had quite a, well, let's go right back. Let's t- tell me about like growing up. What was it like for you? Well, I grew up in a refugee camp and um, I didn't realise it at the time. Where was it? In Bonagilla on the border of New South Wales, Victoria, just outside of Albury. Uh-huh. And we lived in a little hut that was the size size of a white tradies van. And I remember uh, the egg, and we had one egg a week, and my parents gave it to me. And it was just you and your parents? Yeah, in, in that little yep. hut. How, they, old, how old were you? Oh, four. Yep. And, and, and they gave, five, they gave me the egg. <sighs> yeah. And only years later did I realise, and I asked them, and they said, yeah, we only had one egg a week and we gave it to you. And I thought, God, that's what parents do for right. their kids. And so then we moved to Sydney, then to Wollongong. My father worked on the waterboard. So he got a man uh, who has a master's degree, who could speak 12 languages. Um, and the best job he could get was being a labourer in Australia because we've got such harsh restrictions against people from other cultures using their education in our culture. And then we moved down to Wollongong and then I was bullied all the way through primary school and high school, which what happened in those days uh, and nobody really cared. And bullying for... for Being a wog. Being a wog. Being... uh, Well, it's funny. I saw a sign in Marrickville and uh, I took a photo of it and then I went... It was in... I thought it was Vietnamese. I went into the Vietnamese bread shop. I said, what does this mean? And the guy said, oh, that's, that's, that's very bad. And it said... Afghanis go home. (laughs) So you know you're Australian when you become the next generation of immigrants and tell them to piss off. Yeah, in your own language. In your own language. Well, tell me, let's just briefly pause on that before we resume the story because it seems to me like you have quite a unique insight into how Australia has changed in a positive way in regard to like immigration and those sort of things and how perhaps in the last, say, decade or so you know some of our attitudes maybe have regressed i mean i don't know they have regressed yeah we've changed from accepting people because the media um and 70 percent of the print eyes belong to murdoch have told us that these immigrants come into australia and we put them up in a five-star hotel and then give them a salary 10 times the dole and uh, a rolls royce to take them everywhere they want to go that's what we're being told is that the classic psychology of um it's better to distract the lowest you know the the least well off by telling them that there's someone below them that's coming to take their stuff right so that they don't look above them at the real people who are the the reason that they're in this sort of indentured poverty you got in one yeah okay right and so why do you think in the last in the last you know 10 15 years uh why apart from the media is it just the media doing that or is there a, a darker reason that because i feel like we're a very lucky country like i mean we have natural resources uh, mm. abundantly we have a great you know way of life here yep. you know it seems like some of the things we should be most proud of are the things that we seem to be determined to destroy about yeah. us, which I don't know why that would be as a country. Crazy. Like I've been, I just came back from India and Thailand 
you don't get blue skies there. No. It's sort of muddy yellow. And you come back here and you think, oh, it is blue. <laughs> We're so lucky. Why have we done this race to the bottom? I think it's one political party decided that they would uh, have a hate target. And then the other political party said, well, it worked for you. We'll try it too. Right. And forgot about the justice of it. And is it just... But that just seems to me like such a... What do you think is wrong inherently with... And I know this is not your area, but mm. like... What do you think is inherently wrong with the political system? Because the thing that I, and maybe I'm just been becoming overly cynical as I get older, but I have a genuine interest in politics mm. and I still find it hard to believe that all the people in politics are terrible people. I, I, I believe that some of them at least got into it for very good reasons because they believe in genuine change. Mm. So if that's true... And if for the last 10 or 15 years we've proved that there's one after another that can't be trusted or that is corrupted or is under the thumb of some interest group or another, then surely the answer is that the system is broken and that when people get into the system, they are corrupted by the system. Although the system includes a bribery where if you just do nothing and you were going to vote that way anyway, somebody will give you $10,000 or they'll give you a piece of paper and on that is the phone number and the bank details of the bank account right. with $20,000 in it. You don't have to do anything. You just take the piece of paper. No money's changes hands. And the bribes are what destroys the system. Corruption, I think, is what destroys the system. Yeah. Because I learned a lot from my going into trying unsuccessfully to go into politics. So I wanted power, uh, power for good. And I tell people, go into politics. I'm telling the students that I talk to all the time, go into politics, but don't go to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to resist a bribe for 10000 Okay, 10000 not enough. You want 100000 Yeah, we can do 100000 Okay, 200000 Okay, well, here it is. Tears you 200000 Is that enough? Sure. Okay, and then suddenly you, you've been bored. I think of it as a salami process where you've got a salami with a string at each end. You chop off the string that's worth nothing. You chop off each individual slice they're worth nothing. And at the end, all you're left with is a string. And so I agree with you. I think they go in for the right reasons for, to try to do good. And they just end up getting salamied away a little slice at a time. All right. So uh, you get bullied through high school? All the way through high school. And then what happens? Then I go to university and grow a beard and then uh, discover that there's the opposite gender. Do you know that I didn't... So you hadn't really discovered that when you were at high school? At what age were you when you first heard the word vagina? Um, I'm going to say uh, like year six, grade seven, something like that. I was still getting words what, wrong. How old? So I guess that's like 12 or something? 21. First time you heard it? First time I heard the word. How can that be true? Well, well, Catholic upbringing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But a vagina was involved in that process. It was instrumental. A very dorky kid with pretty close to zero success who wanted to get laid and failed over and over again because he was such a dork. Yeah, That was me and nerdy as well. And then, so so I, I went through into university and discovered women. So you must have done okay at school, though, if you've got yeah, to go to university. Yeah, okay I, enough? Yeah, okay enough. I got a, scholar, a Commonwealth scholarship. Yeah. And that's the other sad thing. What sort of student were you? At school, very good. Because you're clearly hard. a student of life now. Like, you clearly yeah. are interested in everything. But were you, did you have that passion for learning when you were at high school? It's, it's, Do you feel like no. that's something you learned no. or is it something that has always been in it, you? It came later. Yeah. I, I remember when I was... When I finished university, when I finished high school, and I tried to, no, I was, I was in first year university, and I tried to read wider, and so I was a very bad student at university. Barely got through the first time, barely got through. The second time, you know, I got a distinction average. The third time, I unfortunately did medicine and media at the same time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, I read, I tried reading Plato's Republic the book by Plato, the Greek philosopher, and there was a sentence there, something like, the unexplored life is not worth living. Yeah. And for some reason, it just hit me in the head, and I thought, wow, you've got to live life. And then I, then I started working. That I, can we just yeah. pause there, because that is also one of my favourite quotes, or, you know, the unexamined life or the unexplored life is not worth living. You don't like, have a second go, that's it. I really feel like this. that's the one thing you're like, you can choose what you want to fill your life with. Mm. And I think sometimes it's very important for people to like stop and go, what actually makes me happy? 
if it is an extra day, if it's not working until seven o'clock at night and getting home at five, so you have an extra half an hour to kick the footy with the kids, and you're willing to forgo a bit of money or whatever to have that. Like, I think we'd all be a better off if we weren't competing with an ideal of the person next door, and their ideal uh. isn't even what we think it is, right? Uh, but secondly, it would encourage people to go. I don't care what you want to do with your life in some ways. Just do it. And like, you know, it. do it and embrace it. Yeah. And even if that's like, you know what I love more than anything? Sleeping and watching television. If that's it, then don't sit around and resent the fact that you're doing that. Embrace the fact that you made a conscious choice and you went, I've, this is my ideal life. And it will be for a while and then yeah. it will change and it will drift into something else. You would think so. <laughs> Probably that, an Oprah episode. Because <laughs> that really hit me when I was working at the Steelworks. Right. So I graduated with a degree in physics and I was working as a physicist at the age of 19 at the Steelworks in Wollongong. Uh-huh. And... Some of the people there were... What does that job involve if you're a physicist at a steelworks? In my particular case, it was um, measuring the fatigue properties of various steels okay. to see if they came up to scratch. Uh-huh. Uh, and in most cases, they didn't, and then they just sort of ignored the results because they didn't care anyway. Oh. Oh. Uh, well, I assume that no major industries do that sort of thing these days. Um, I assume that's a problem that's pretty much been cleared up by dot, now because I can't imagine... <laughs> <laughs> the giants. I mean, this is like I always say this to people, particularly when it comes to the climate change debate. I always say, don't get me wrong. I hope that ninety-seven percent of the smartest people in the world who are experts in this industry have got it completely wrong. I wish they and were. a couple of right-wing shock jocks and people who are just having a guess. I hope they're right because if the smart people are right, we're kind of fucked already. We kind and if, of are. And if the so if the dumb people are right just by luck or by accident or whatever, I hope that the only people who've got this right are the major energy companies who have the most to lose. Uh, <laughs> like, but chances are that's probably not true. Oh, no. The, the climate change I see is the big one. And I'm just thinking ahead to the dialogues that will happen in 30 years from now when the kids and grandkids of the people today are saying, but we had the hottest week on record and the hottest month and the hottest two months on record and the hottest year on record and we had to redo the weather maps in Australia. We had to put new colours on the temperature measurement spectrum. And didn't you get any hint? Five players melted at the Australian Open. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just when we're recording this, they've just had in Melbourne like uh, 12 straight days over 20, which is like a record in Melbourne for May. Like, you know, I mean, and I understand that some places it's been colder and some places it's been... But averaged out over the whole planet. Right. And we've just had the... Uh, a so, okay, so let's... Sort of, seeing that we're talking about this but, now, but, can we start with this? Yeah. You 100% believe that uh, man-made climate change is a real thing and that, that climate change is affected by our actions? Uh, I don't use the word believe because believe implies... It's a fake no or a, Yeah. Right. I accept, accept. the science 100%. Okay. That climate change is real, we cause it's going to be bad. I did my very first story on climate change in 1981. Uh-huh. And by the way, back in 1977, Munich Ray, the biggest insurance company in the world, was already factoring it into their premiums. Right. Right, in 1977. In well, this is the thing that I always say to people. I say, you know that America and Australia and all these major countries have military plans to deal with climate change they all have all our militaries have contingency plans to deal with the effect of climate change yet somehow we meant the rest of us are meant to be just like whistle and pretend it's It's not not happening thank you to dr carl for that chat with will thank you to chase paradise and briggs for their chats as well thank you so much for listening guys uh we're putting these out like i said till uh the end of the year This is episode 9 of 12, so there'll be three more releases after this. Special thanks to Mike Howell over in America for trolling through the back catalogue and cutting all these pieces together. James Fosdyke, who does all the artwork. Will Anderson, obviously, for for doing the podcast in the first place. Uh, And all the guests, make sure to go to tofop.com to see the entire back catalogue of the show. Twitter, we are Willosophy Pod. Instagram, we're also Willosophy Pod. That's P O D. I think that's basically everything. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Rate, subscribe, like, follow, all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Hold up. 